Hello everyone and welcome to the Round 20 episode for 2019 of Refs Roundup. It's great to be back in the studio to chat about the weekend's games and what's happening in the world of refereeing. And a very lovely welcome to my favourite NRL referee and my favourite husband, Gavin Badger. How was New Zealand over the weekend? Uh, yeah, trip over the ditch. Um, cold and wet. Um, actually, the day we got there, it was it was really nice. I got there on Thursday um, for a Friday game, so we sort of got there th- Thursday afternoon. It was beautiful and sunny, and I was walking around in you know, the viaduct down there at um, in Auckland Harbour in beautiful sunshine, and um, come next day, I sort of had a similar walk along there and it started to rain and the wind started to come down and I was trying to run to get back to the hotel because I didn't want to get too wet because I'm a little bit precious like that. <laughs> and um, I was really struggling to run into the into the wind. Because so, uh, well, all 50 kilos of you was going to be blown over. <laughs> yeah, but I was wet, so that adds a couple. Um, and then, yeah, as the evening um, got on, it got a little bit cooler and a little bit windier. So uh, Complete opposite w- to you. Yeah, so it, it was a bit cold and wet, but... Um, once you get running, it's it's not too bad. The warm up's pretty pretty um, ordinary, but apart from that, once you're running around, it, that temperature is pretty cool. Yeah. What are the different? We've had a listener question um, a few weeks back asking what are the differences in refereeing in those sorts of conditions, like especially sort of torrential rain and stuff. Yeah. Well, well you think about if if we're feeling it, the players are also feeling that as well. Um, although we had Canberra and and the Warriors playing, who were both used to those conditions, it's <laughs> like a home game for both of them. Um, but yeah, especially in the wet, you got to look out for you know the way the ball, the, the ball carry and, and and the hold on the ball. We get a lot more loose ball, mm. um, so you got to make a lot more decisions on ball whether that ball's been lost or stripped, mm. um, and probably more chance of it being a loose carry, like a more than usual because of the those conditions. Yeah, well, the ball comes out a lot more on contact. Yeah, so that make can make it a bit easier when we we've spoken before about our indicators as to. You know, when the ball comes out as to if it's stripped or lost. And one of those is, you know, what time of the tackle it comes out. So the closer to contact, the more likely is a lost ball. So, you know, we've we really got to work on indicators and, and we've really got to make sure that we're up for it as well, you know, from the kickoff because it can be, you know, you got there cold and you've got to get warm. But, you know, the first tackle happens and you've got to be ready to go. So mm. that's probably the biggest thing when it comes to those conditions is sort of blocking them out and just going out there and doing your job. What about movement pattern-wise and... Communication-wise, um, so especially uh, taking off for runs and as the assist ref moving in and out of that pocket position, watching your footing, and then in sort of torrential rain or big winds and stuff, just with your vocal projection. Yeah, and well, I noticed that um, after the game that you know the vo- the voice is a bit sore because you got to yell a lot, <laughs> and I'm a yeller anyway. I, I am one that, that yells a fair bit out there, and um, yeah, you, you notice that, but. The, the the running and stuff we're, we're fortunate with the quality of fields that that we run on mm. at the NRL level at, at lower levels of the game it has a massive impact and you know because that's when the potholes and that appear as mm. well and and not only that the ground gets a bit muddy and that I take into it that I'll just from the start of the game I'll just do what I do normally and then adjust if I have to adjust within the there game. are some fields where yeah. you start to feel it and you slip a little bit um, where others it, it doesn't make much difference there's some fields where you get all the grass that clogs up under yeah. your boots and others that don't so I sort of go on with the approach is I'll do what I do and then if I have to adjust I will yeah I think um, I was most disappointed when you got back home um, that you only bought two blocks of chocolate back <laughs> well, I don't know what I did to hurt you so much <laughs> <laughs> oh well it, it is what it is I did my best <laughs> A um, bit of a different weekend to last weekend's games where we were talking about how close the score lines were. Um, there were probably two two close games this weekend and the rest were um, fairly big 
um, a few, few big blowout sort of score lines, which is um, unusual to see that many within the NRL competition. Um, one of those was the game that I was on in Brisbane um, where they played Melbourne. It was 40 to 4 and Melbourne were just all class that night, um, especially that, that left edge. They just yeah blew them to pieces. They're just so, so, so quick. And yeah, not only that game, but the other games over the weekend that did blow out, you know, we spruiked this a fair bit. And I've heard, actually over the weekend, I've heard players talk about it. I heard Josh Hodgson talking about it on the radio last night um, about, you know, you only have to be off a fraction in this competition and the other team be on their game and the scores will blow out. That's how good the quality of the competition is. He said the biggest, Josh Hodgson listened to him talk last night. He said the biggest difference between the Super League and the NRL is that. Yeah. The fact that, you know, your top teams in the Super League would, you know, would come over here and be competitive. The lower teams obviously would struggle. He goes, but week in, week out in the NRL, you've got to be on your game, otherwise you get beat. And that's why we see some of these score lines over the weekend, yeah. you know, he heading into to semifinals, teams are really starting to fine-tune. So the teams that, that get it will kick on and, and put yeah. these scores on where the sides that miss it a touch are going to find yeah. themselves on the end of them. Yeah, and Melbourne certainly did that in our, in, in our game and... Um I said playing that left edge and played quite um, a bit of quick football out of their own end as well. And at one stage, um, there was a big break from Suli Vunavalu um, down the middle of the field. And um, how did you go chasing him? Oh, went better than <laughs> better than average. A couple of people, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen my GPS stuff yet. Uh, Ask me that tomorrow when I see my GPS data. Uh, but someone who did go very well and he um, gave himself a wrap after the game in the change rooms. He said he reckons that he'll he'll win the Gazelle of the Week, and he did. Was the other touch judge on that game was uh, Nick Beachel. So in chasing down at that moment, he hit um, thirty point two four kilometres an hour. So pretty pretty quick beach. He's, he's, he's won this a few times, we've said yeah, that. I think he's won it the last three or four weeks in a row. Yeah. Might have to have a, a dig at it, try and get him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that wasn't the best part of the game. The best part of the game was on a different break where um, Jerry Sutton, the referee, hit the deck, collided with um, with Corey Oates and was... A Polaxed. <laughs> was a little oh. bit more graceful than uh, Chris Butler the week before who um, did like a double roly-poly. Jerry sort of slided almost as if he was on ice. And we've said before, there's nothing funnier than a referee or a touch judge falling over. I don't know what it is. But thankfully he was all right because he got, he got hit he pretty got hard. He got pretty quickly as he, well. Yeah. Um, it was, was lucky it? he didn't hit his head on the ground or didn't get that sort of whiplash Whip. motion because um, how he fell would have been similar to Adam G early in the year when he broke, broke his, his shoulder. shoulder yeah. So it can be, um, you know, a fair it can be quite that. dangerous. But it also does show, and, you know, to give ourselves a wrap a bit as well, that, that that's a pretty solid contact. That mm. The work that we do around getting ourselves physically prepared to run around for the 80 minutes also helps us with that. Yeah. You know what I mean? If, if Jerry's not in the shape that he is, he probably does come out of that with an injury. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's a pretty solid... He's in the air for about two and a half metres. <laughs> yeah. Like, seriously, when you yeah, slow you it down... Because as we do, we slow it down to, to make sure we have a good laugh at it. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it's even funnier in slow-mo. Oh, it's hilarious, <laughs> especially when you see facial expressions. But um, yeah, he's in the air for a fair for a fair bit. You think about the speed that he's going at and, and two and a half metres in the air and then hit the ground. Um, unexpectedly as well. So it's not like you're waiting for front-on contact, like making a tackle. So... Um, yeah, he pulled up pretty good, and it, and it says a little bit for you know the, yeah, our fitness levels. Yeah, um, the hardest thing there when you fall over as a referee is knowing what's happened on the field and wondering if you've missed anything. Because because yeah. on that one, there's a long break, like or a semi sort of long break, and he hits the deck and gets up, and there's a tackle, and there's actually a penalty off that tackle for a slow ruck. Yeah. So then he's got to then weigh up. Well, I know it's a slow ruck, 
but I don't see everything that happens because I'm on the ground. How bad is it? Is it a sim bin? Is it not? And that's just um, something that's so hard to to account for, something that you can't train for, I guess. Um, So from the quickest of the week, we go to who ran the furthest this week and um, goes to someone who's won this a few times in John Stone in the uh, Tigers and Cowboys game on Thursday night out there at packed Leichhardt Oval, um, hitting 11.35 kilometres in that game. Yeah, we've noticed that that seems to be around the figure now. Like earlier in the season, we, we, we were around that 10 and a half. Yeah, now we're, we're getting into that 11 and a half. Yeah. Some 12s, depending on depending on the type of um, the type of game. Um, and probably a, an extremely impressive um, figure here. We've spoken about this bloke last week as well. Um, for the Urgency Award this week, our GPS um, unit this week was on touch judge Ricky McFarlane in the Dragons and Eels game. And I think this is the first time with these units that someone's cracked over 200. Uh, Um, So he hit... He hit those high XL D cells 212 times as the touch judge in that game. And in a... um that was the low-scoring game of the weekend, so 12 points to four. So more um, that back and forth, more yeah. of a grind sort of game. So, again, conducive to those sorts of figures. Yeah, and we spoke earlier in the year. I think I won this in one of the first rounds with just over 100. Yeah. And we're saying uh, that was a pretty high level. Yeah. So, that, you know, he's, he's virtually doubled this and, and smashed it out of the ballpark. Yeah. Um, so in that game, West Tigers and Cowboys, probably the incident that had the most... Uh, controversy, if you will, or um, talk around it. It was a fairly controversial free weekend for us, wasn't it? Thankfully. (laughs) Um, Yes, it was. Um, Yeah, but the one that did create a lot of talk was um, an obstruction that was ruled against the Cowboys, a try that was uh, scored and reviewed. Um, And the reason why it was taken off the team created some debate amongst um, commentators and fans saying, you know, was someone obstructed or what? Would that try have been stopped anyway? And or it's not your old-fashioned shepherd and a range of different things. So we thought, well, we'll explain that scenario and why that was a penalty, um, and we'll ex- we'll go over all of our indicators or all of our rulings in our in our interpretations book as to what does constitute an obstruction and why. Because I think that's it's one thing to just tell people oh, that's what the rule is, but, well, let's explain why. Why was that the rule and how did that rule come about? So, first of all, in that scenario um, on the weekend in that Cowboys try, um, there's contact made on Luke Brooks, which stops him from being able to slide to his left, which means that the centre has to hold up on the next um, the next ball, like potential well, attacker. Well, he virtually has to hang up on... The ball carrier, yeah. who was his inside, who was Luke Brooks? Yeah, because Luke Brooks couldn't slide out to him. Yeah, who would normally Brooks would defend him. Yep, and the, then the ball is passed out, which then creates a two-on-one scenario where because the Cowboys. The winger, yeah, sorry, because the winger now has to come in yep. to defend where the centre would have been if Luke hadn't have been. Yep. So they've all moved in one, creates a two-on-one overlap out on the wing for the Cowboys, um, which we look at and say, well. He sh- they should have had an opportunity to defend that. So essentially it's saying they were denied an opportunity to defend that play. It's had an impact on their defensive yeah. structure. Yeah, because of how it's held up. The So yes, Luke Brooks wasn't bowled over and this wasn't a scenario where the ball was caught on the inside shoulder or any of that sort of stuff. It The, the obstruction is that it obstructed him from being able to slide. And, 
and, and watching this game live straight away, we both said it was going to be no yeah. try straight away yeah. because of our understanding of the laws and, and, and how we interpret them. Um, I can see why people would think, well, they scored the try out there. This has happened 10, 15 metres infield. How has that impacted what they've done out there? When you just look at where the obstruction occurs mm. compared to where the try is scored. Yeah, like 15 metres or yeah. 20 metres to but the side But in this case, the reason they have the opportunity is exactly like you said. We've, we've, every defender's had to be dragged in a, a step because Luke couldn't then continue his run. Yeah. So to me, this one was, you know, pretty much one of the easier ones for our bunker officials to look at and then adjudicate yeah. on the way they did. So with that, um, speaking about the bunker officials, so I think we've touched on this before, but I think it would be a timely reminder, is that in the bunker we've got um, a, a senior review official who's our um, technical official, in generally our commas, referee. which is generally our, our referee. Or an ex-referee. Um, yep. And down the front we've got our other review official who is a ex-footballer. So we've got Brian Norrie, Bo Scott, um, Ben Lowe, Benny Galea. Yeah. Okay. So they're the people who actually, when a decision goes to the bunker, they review it in consultation with each other, the senior review official and the review official. And the senior review official is the one who talks and That's ultimately pushes the button. The, the but obstruction calls essentially get handed over to the ex-footballer because the idea is... They're the guys who have the better understanding of is a player obstructed or not. So we hear some criticism about the bunker and people saying, oh, well, the referees don't know what an obstruction is or blah, blah. Well, that's why we have those people within our system to say, well, who have that better understanding and can make that judgment for us and they can explain it to us. Yeah, and it's about you know, having all your options there when it comes to the officiating space there yeah. because we have the technical guy who'll – who'll sometimes jump in and go, yeah, you think this, but by the law, the law is this. this. Is yeah. And then the, the, the guy at the front, the, the ex-footballer, will, will then, you know, sort of maybe vary his opinion on stuff. Yeah. But we like, we need to have those guys in there because they do give us that feel of what it's like to be in that defensive line. And because we've seen stuff and saw just a little tap and gone, well, it's only, mm. he's only just brushed past him. But then when they break it down to us and say, well, once he brushed him, it's turned him and now he's in a poor turns defensive position. Turns his hips that way or turns his shoulders that way or you know, whatever it might be. Little intricacies that, yeah. you know, as, as referees, we never ever we never thought about. Yeah. Um, but when we have these guys in there and, and they give us their expl explanation as to why they think this one is, this one isn't, it actually makes sense. Yeah. And it, it then makes us better for it, I think. So um, I think having that experience in there outside of the refereeing space really adds to the decision-making in the bunker. Yep. Um, and the other thing I wanted to touch on as well is that um, – when people talk about our um, NRL interpretations and, you know, oh, there's too many interpretations or the interpretations, um, why do they just make them up or whatever? I know I've said it before on this podcast, but I'm saying it again. <laughs> we need to have interpretations because not everything's in the law book. The law book says that you can't obstruct a player who doesn't have the ball. Yeah, what is that? Well, what's an obstruction? Yeah, what is that? Tell me what that is. So we're That's not in the law book. So we've had to put – so that's an example of something that goes in the NRL interpretations. So that's a book that covers things that aren't covered in the law book to more um, – to define them better. So then it's not us that just come up with that. That's the competitions committee. That's what I was going to bring up. Yeah. And then the coaches every um, at the start of every year as well. So – the indicators within this NRL interpretations booklet are signed off by all of those club coaches. So every one of those club coaches agreed to these being 
the guidelines for what does and doesn't constitute an obstruction. So it's all well and good for a coach who had a try taken off them, um, you know, whatever week it might be to say, oh, because the ball is ridiculous or, oh, it was only just caught on the inside. It had no impact or he only just brushed the shoulder of it. Well, you know what? At the start of the year when you sat down with the people from footy ops at the NRL and whoever else is in the room, you decided as a group that this is what you're going to play to. Yeah, that's what, and, and, and that's the thing. And another thing that they talk about a lot, people say, well, how come all of a sudden we have these issues around obstruction? You know, back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, it was never an issue. Yeah. You know I mean? The, the only obstruction was when a bloke went around his, his own player. Yeah, the old-fashioned shepherd. The we shepherd. never heard of inside shoulders or outside shoulders. And, and the way the game was played back then, 100% correct. Mm. Once we start playing flatter at the line, we're putting lead runners through, you know, you're throwing double leads through. Now you've got attackers in the defensive line, which we've never had in the game before, probably the last 15 years. Mm. You know, so that's where the rule book and you talk about interpretations needed to be amended and we needed to throw these stuff in there because we'd never had to deal with that before. Because the game changed, the way players played changed and the laws had to adapt to that. Like like everything else, you know, our, our rule book was written in 1908 has, you know, and has had things put in and pulled out along the way. And this is another part of that because the game changes. The same with the tackle types, mm-hmm. you know. We, we, we never had, you know... Um, all the, the issues around the wrestle and the ruck in in those days because the game was played differently. Yeah. Now it's all about winning the ruck because we're you know we're ten meters back and it's all about line mm. speed and playing flat. So things change and we have to adapt to that. And that's the thing with with obstruction. And we've tried a lot of different ways to to fix this, or well, not to fix it to to interpret this. Um, and no matter which way we go, there's always going to be the ones out of the box that don't fit this. Yeah. But unfortunately to have 99.9% of them correct, we're going to wear one or two. I don't think this is one of those, but there's sometimes going to be ones where you just go, you know what, that doesn't fit into these categories. That should be a try, but boy, you know, it is what it is. But we have to have that. We're going to have that because the the way the game is played, we can't... I I actually feel like, because the the thing that always gets thrown up about referees is consistency. That's always the word. I feel like obstruction is actually the thing we are, we're the yeah. most we're the most consistent on yeah it's probably the most black and white thing especially when it leads to tries rule. yes when, def- definitely when it leads to tries yeah. in the middle of the field we can play with it a little bit and stuff like that yeah. and we allow players to sort of surrender and stuff like that because well, we gain no well, advantage the, that's what I was going to say because the difference there is that they haven't and gained they an advantage, advantage. And that's that, the big thing with obstruction they can't gain an advantage when you score a try you've gained an advantage and, and I think that sometimes is the, is the reason why people sort of don't understand because they go well isn't having the ball gaining an advantage and, you know, so there's all those different where, where people will sort of jump up and down and say, well, that one, they score a try, then it's obstruction. They do exactly the same play, don't score a try and they still keep the ball. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think that's where they feel there's inconsistencies in it. But we've got to allow that because, you know, everyone's going to be different as well. Yeah. You know, we can't be just jumping into every one of them. Yeah. So um, the indicators, so we'll go over those indicators for an obstruction. So the first one is that the block runner or flat runner who doesn't receive the ball. So that block runner can't stop in the middle of the defensive line. And the purpose of that is, like we just explained with the, the Luke Brooks one, there was that little bit of contact. But yep. similar to that in that I can't stop in the middle of the defensive line because it stops that defensive line from being able to shift or slide across. Yep. So, so that's pretty easy So if one. you are the lead runner, you don't get the ball, you run through keep the line. Keep running through the line, yes. And have no contact. Yes, you either need to stop before the line or keep continue running through the line. Yep. The challenge we get with them on field is when a block runner runs through the line, but then play comes back, back yeah. and then they end up... The defensive the line. line then shifts back again 
and now they're back in the line. Yeah. They can be hard for us to pick up. Yeah. Um, the next part is that the block runner who doesn't receive the ball must not run at the chest or the outside shoulder of the defender and initiate the contact. So that's a bit more of what we saw with that. that that's with virtually what we saw. Brooks, yeah. It was the outside shoulder, yeah. shoulder of Luke Brooks. Yep. Yeah. So when we say outside shoulder, we mean that if I'm the defender and I have an attacker running at me and the attacker is going to pass the ball to their right, okay, so they might be a half and on their right is their centre and their winger. I'm the defender. My outside shoulder would be my left shoulder, so the way that I would be sliding Sliding. out um, to that side. So a lead runner coming through to me has to essentially veer in field, so towards the posts, if that was the example yep. where I was saying where, where I was set up before. Unders line, not an overs line. Yes, an unders line towards the post, not hitting my outside shoulder or hitting my chest. Yep. If I, I also can't just run through and just barrel him not over and just take over. him out. That, that's that's yeah. an obvious one. But one. the inside, the, the, the outside shoulder bit, that's where a little bump can completely change um, the defender's ability to defend. And the big thing about the outside shoulder indicator that came from the footballers that was the one where they said any contact when I'm trying to slide or I've got to play it throws my whole defensive structure out and it also puts me in a very poor defensive position yeah, and vulnerable defensive dis- stops yeah. me from sliding but also if they do run at me I'm in a now poor defensive position yes yeah so yeah that was a big reason why we brought that indicator in yep okay and then so that's part 1a and 1b then part 1c is that the referee or the review officials can determine the significance of contact initiated by the block runner who doesn't receive the ball in impeding a defender's involvement in a try-scoring play. So that's where they can look at it and say, okay, well, where is that discretion? Did it impact? And that's what, as we spoke about, we have the football, the ex-footballers in the bunker and they have a better understanding of did it did it impact or not? And a lot of that has to do with depth. So we talk about depth of a pass or how far out a ball was passed to, and it's also to if, the side. If, if we break it down to the Luke Brooks one, because it's the most recent one, the one we're sort of talking about, if that contact on Luke had been minimal and and didn't change his movements, let's say it was a slide. So he was still able to slide. And he still slide and everyone still defended the right people. And on the wing, the Tigers wing, I don't know who's on that side at the time, gets beaten yep. and then they score. Yep, and then we go, different. well, there's, there's no impact on their structure. There's no impact yep. on Luke Brooks. Try. Mm. We, we can go try, yep. depending on the content. So that's where the same play can have different outcomes. Different impact, yes. Dep- depending on yeah the, the impact. Yep. Okay, so that's part one, so A, B and C. Part two is that the ball carrier must not run behind an active block runner and disadvantage the defensive Shepherd. line. Old-fashioned Shepard. Still there. And that, that, bit, that last bit of where it says and disadvantage the defensive line. So where we spoke before about how players do it and then they drop to the ground and, and surrender, yep. well, we play on there because they've not disadvantaged... They've, they've not, not disadvantaged the defensive line. Yeah. Um, okay. Third part is that it will be deemed an obstruction if the attacking player who runs a sweep line clearly receives the ball on the inside of the block or flat runner. So that's where we would have seen that and... It's happened a few times this year. Yeah, so the best angle that we get is when they have the pole camera at the end of the field and you can see whether he's caught it on the inside or the outside shoulder. And the idea there being that as the defender, I shouldn't have to worry about where that player, if that player is going to run behind that block player or not. I I shouldn't have to make that judgment. So 
in a split second of me having to hold up because he's caught it on one side, that can impact. Now, that is the line where there's no – so earlier we spoke about um, we could um, determine the significance of something in, in impeding a defender's involvement. This, this one, one doesn't have that caveat to it. No. It's just that's black inside and white. Inside shoulder, game yes, over. Yes, if you caught it on the inside shoulder, bang, that's it. It's not going to be a try. Yes. Um, and that was one I think last week was um, there was more of a controversial one where that happened and the ball was sort of shifted out and people were you know, up in arms about it. But but that was one where we were saying on one channel, um, commentators were blowing up and the other channel they were going, oh, yeah, that's an obstruction Cause I, cause because they rule. know that rule. And that's one that we've definitely played with over, over a couple of years. We try to give some discretion and stuff like that on that and go, well, is there any impact? It's too hard. Yeah, It's too hard because it all happens so quick. We just... If we have a line in the sand there, we can be consistent. There's a word. We can mm-hmm. be consistent on this one. Yep. Okay. Then the na- next two bits of obstruction are about what doesn't constitute an obstruction. So a defense. So part four is that a defensive decision that commit the defenders to initiating contact with an attacking player will not be deemed an obstruction. So that's where we say it was a defensive decision. That, and you would have heard the bunker officials talking about that a lot. So where a player runs in. So that's generally a, the inside shoulder, not the outside shoulder. Yes. If there's contact when it's inside shoulder, a lot of the time that is it's as the a defender, defender I've then gone and initiated that contact because I've made a defensive decision. Yep. And part five is that a defensive decision that commits the defender to change their defensive line will not be deemed an obstruction. Um, So, yeah, so that shows, um, I guess, how many things we've got to take into account pretty quickly on the field. Um, And we can have some criticism of how many times things get sent up to the bunker to check. Well, there's a reason why we've just had... I just read over five things and part one had three things within it. So really that's five, six, seven things that we're meant to determine that are, that could potentially be obstructions. Um, and we've got to determine at speed with lots of bodies in motion, um, which is why a lot of them get referred. But this is why we have processes where um, I'll get you, Gav, to talk through your processes when you're the assist ref in the assist ref position into how we clean. Uh, clear the lead runners and where the ball's caught and all the rest of it. Yeah, it's a big part of the assist ref role, especially in the attacking zones. Um, and you'll, you'll see that we sort of run different lines around the field depending on what's happening. So on a shift play, when we know there's going to be lead runners running through and we know there's going to be catches, you know, and depending on where that ball's caught, we'll work really hard to run across the field and sort of away from it. So we give ourselves some depth so we don't get too close, close to the play because the further back we are, the easier it is to have that read, especially around where the ball's caught because yep. um, I'm opening up my vision and then we can follow those lead runners through. So you'll, if, if you've got sports ears and people listen to the games in sports ears, you'll often hear us go um, outside through the line, outside through the line. Yep. When virtually we're saying the catch is outside and the lead runner's through the line. Yep. And, you know, if I don't say outside, that means I'm sort of not real sure. So the ones where I don't say outside if I see those, is generally the ones that I'm going to check. Yeah. So if, so I if don't, they go in and score, yeah. you know you haven't set outside because that, That's when I'll, I will sort of check and I'll generally start those ones with no try mm. because if I'm certain, I would have said he's out, mm. caught it outside um, compared to if I've set outside, outside, but I know it's still pretty tight and I, and I still may check that one where I'll start with try. Yeah. So that that's generally what we're looking for as the assist ref yeah. from behind. Yep. So that's just another example of where, yes, we've got four officials on the field, but it doesn't mean everyone's looking at the same thing. So where there's could be an example where a player is tackled high, for example, you say, oh, there's four people on the field, 
how is it missed or why don't they get this or whatever it might be. Well, in that sort of scenario, you wouldn't, as in the assist ref role, you wouldn't really have been looking at the contact of that player because you're looking almost one play behind what's happening because you're clearing the lead runner going through where the pass is caught. So you're not always looking at contact on ball. And vice versa with the head referee who's looking at contact on ball and may see where the ball's caught, but it's very hard for him to then see if there's contact on a defender because sometimes it's almost behind him because we're pushing up for passes as the the lead ref and all of a sudden there's two, two guys on the ground and you start to get a little bit of a panic and think, well, who initiated what that? What happened, yeah, yeah. And then you, that's where we put all the trust and, and the processes in, in the other officials on the field. So, yeah, like you say, people might say there's four on there. How do you not see it? But we've got lots of things to look at. At one stage, four people might be looking at four different, four things, different things because that's their roles and responsibilities. Yeah. Where other times we're all looking at the same thing. It just depends on, yeah. on what's happening. So it's quite complicated in terms of what we're all looking at, but at this level, that's what we're trained to do. Like you said, roles and responsibilities, you hear a lot of the times in the, the best sports teams in the world, it's all about knowing your role and do, doing your job. And that's what we talk about in different areas of the field and different roles that we're in is if you do your job, then as a whole, we'll come up with the Hopefully. right decision. Well, the big thing with instruction is, and I think we're in a spot now with it where everyone sort of understands what it is. Mm-hmm. And like you say, we, we, we've watched, uh, we watch a lot of footy and, and generally now when, when they happen, the commentators and, and stuff will know, okay, this one's going to be no try because of this, mm. because of that. So the, the, the less that we sort of tinker with it now, I think the better it will be. And this has been – these indicators here have been in the interpretations for this – one of the longest that they've stayed because it has changed over yeah. the years. Um, but these ones have been here for quite a few years now. Yeah. And, and whether you agree with them all or not, I think we're in the spot now where – you know, we can be as consistent as possible yeah. with them all. With them. So, uh, yeah, I think we're we're in probably the the best spot we can sort of get it. to without it being. Oh, someone's phone's going off. Yeah, that's a fine <laughs> for me. Sorry, <laughs> phone wasn't are. on silent. Um, yeah, we're probably in the best spot that we've we we can be. It's not the perfect. It's never going to be perfect. I don't think with obstructions, but I think we're in the best spot we can be with them. Yeah. Um, other talking point out of the weekend, which um, Gray Mannersley touched on yesterday oh. in his Monday briefing, was about captain's communication. So he didn't call out a particular um, scenario or incident which happened. He just sort of said that we're starting to see that um, ref- captains and players' communication with referees were getting close to crossing the line. So it was a bit of a heed this warning yeah, sort of a, statement, yeah, a bit of, of a, yeah. look, we just want players to pull back, um, stop, you know, ha- have a think about how you're approaching referees, when you're approaching referees, how often you're approaching referees, um, because we don't want to get to the point where we have to act on it. And if we have to act on it, we will. We're, there's no one in our squad who would be scared to to act on a um you know, any form of dissent from, from players, but obviously would rather not have to act on it because we'd rather it not occur. Um, so we thought we'd sort of talk about when captains can and can't approach a referee, so under the NRL laws and interpretations. So according to the to the law book, it doesn't actually say anything about captains and that captains are the only ones who can come to the referee or anything like that. It's about players may approach a referee to clarify Clarify a ruling, clarify a decision. The reason why we work with the captains is that it would be near impossible to get through a game if we let 26 players on the field at any time come up to talk to us. It would just be mayhem. So the way the game's always done is that we just work through a captain. 
Um, so we actually put in place uh, these guidelines, these points of when captains can approach a referee. This are, And keep in mind, this is at the NRL level. We do try and instill this um, at lower levels as well, but with the understanding that, yes, it's not going to be as strict or it's harder to do or... Yeah. Oh, and the and the game's different. And, yeah. You know, you're gonna you get a lot more frustration at, at lower levels and stuff like that than, than yep. we seem to get. Um. So the first point under captain's communication in the NRL interpretations is that a captain may only approach the referee at a stoppage of play. Okay. So the first bit to know is that well, what constitutes a stoppage of play? Yeah, and that and that's the big thing, because. Well, a big reason why the, the captain's communication is it's to stop the time wasting and, you know, around after penalties and stuff. So we've deemed it a or stoppage to, in play. Or to slow the other team, the like other attacking team. the goal line. Yeah. So if you go back get maybe rate, four get year, maybe four or five years ago before we put this in place, that's what any time that a team had a penalty, conceded a penalty within their own like 10 metres. The captain would come. Captain would come straight to the referee. So it stops that attacking play. And, and a lot of times it was outside back. So a captain, so they'd have to come all the way across yeah. and then all the all way, the way back. wait till they get back. So they, was, they were too smart. They, they were outsmarting. Um, yeah, so we've quote we have that stoppage in play. A penalty is not classed as a stoppage yep. in play. So, so penalty is not, and a scrum isn't. Not, no. Yep. So any time where play needs to continue on, we don't class as a yep. stoppage in play. So stoppage of, of play is a um, at an injury. Are scored. Yeah, injury. Sorry. Yeah. After points are scored, uh, then we go at half time as well. Yep. The, trying the, to remember the morning. No, but they're generally yep. the main. They're the, generally the main ones. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, at any time, the referee can stop play. Yes. Yeah, so talk to a player or needs, needs to take further yeah. action. Yep. Um, okay. The second point to it is that in speaking to the referee, a, a player must not question or refer to the referee's ability or integrity. This is the main part, I feel. This is the main part for us in refereeing. This is a no-brainer. Yeah. This is a no-brainer. Yeah. If, for as long as I've been refereeing, um, it was always a no-no to question the integrity of yeah. the referee. And if and if questioned, there was consequences. Yeah. And coming through the grades, it was always a send-off. Yeah. You know, if, if, if a player questioned your integrity, yeah. Um, you send him off. Yep. So, yeah, integrity and, and then refer, um, referring uh, to the ability. referee's ab- ability. So that's generally if they have a big blow up to us, that's when they'll be penalised for dissent and or simbid. Um, then the third point is the referee will not debate decisions with the captain. So that's something that we put on. So you see the way that's written, the referee will not debate decisions with the captain. Well, it doesn't say that the captain won't debate. Then that's that's where that line is going. Well, you see, cap- captains continually question or ask and ask and ask, and the referees say, "Whatever you know, I'll use your name because you're in front of me, Gavin. Yeah. Gavin, I've answered your question. Yeah. We're playing on. So that's the hard. That's a hard part for us where we've got to manage our own skill sets to um to get out of that situation with the captain because we can't just shut them down and not talk to them because that then that's when we get accused of not being approachable. Yeah, or that, that, that happens a fair bit. And certain particular referees have been branded with that because they've tried to do the right thing, but then it's like, well, you, you know, you've, you've got no player rapport, you, you're unapproachable, we can't talk, we can't talk to you. Yeah. Which sort of um, heads into the next, the next one. You know, where the, the captain of the team is entitled to speak to the referee to clarify a ruling at any stoppage. And it then states the stoppage is the one we missed out. Was it a dropout? But the oh, clock doesn't stop. Um, so they can come to clarify a ruling. But like you say, once 
you've given the answer, that's the end. Whether you whether the captain agrees with that answer or not. Is irrelevant. It's a, it is. It's irrelevant. Yeah. He's come, you know, the captain's come, asked his question, he's been given the answer, and then that's it. That that's should the be the, the end of it. There's no, then, then there is no debate to that. Yeah. It's not like, no, I don't agree. Yeah. Because now we're starting to debate. It's like, yeah. what was that for? Or, you know, which is, is he entitled to? This, 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 this. Yeah. Okay, thank you. We're playing Off on. we go. Yeah. So that um, uh, at half time, the captains can talk to the referee. So that's optional. They don't have to. Um, we we'll don't give them it. about a minute each. Yeah, so they get about a minute each. Um, the home team captain talks to the referee first, and the away team captain. It rarely happens. We saw it the other week in the um, in the Penrith game, and for us, it happened at um, the cricket ground as well a couple of weeks ago. Myself and Ash Klein, yeah. where I think it was Boyd Corden. I just wanted to clarify a yeah. couple of things. And for us, the best process for us to use is for us to stay out on the field, stay there, so cameras are on, mics are on, it's all done professionally, um, and we sort of stick. Um, to our processes there instead of, you know, walking up the tunnel or doing anything like that. Um, So big skill set, communication. It is, and it's something that for me personally I've had to work on a lot um, throughout my whole career and still still to this day because that's sort of your time in front of the camera. Um, We don't want to be in front of the camera as as much as people think that, you know, we go out there wanting to be in front of the camera Um, because when we get camera time it means it's a big decision or we're dealing with with, with captains. Um, So... This is where you come across. This is how people then perceive who you are as a referee in this time. So um, I know I'm a really fast talker, so I've had to work on processes around slowing my, my, my talk down and you know not sort of jumping in over the top when, when players are talking. And you do love to butt in. I, I, I love a butt in. Um, <laughs> but that, that's a we- you know, that, for me that was a weakness in, in my communication because I wasn't allowing the, the captain to give me what he wanted and then I can respond to that. So it is, it is a big part of what we do and um, can have a major impact on how the rest of the game goes yeah. because if you're not having that relationship with, with the captains, it, it can really make it hard to, to run for the 80 yeah. minutes. And that's a big skill set for our younger referees who might be listening. Um, working on communication is, is difficult but is so vital to your ability to, to referee a game and, and move up the grades. And because the hard thing with working on your communication is that it's very hard to do unless you've been in that situation. It's very much a trial and error, learn by experience type thing. Well, we've even tried over many years and we probably don't do it that much anymore. And I've never been a great fan of it where we've tried to mock up scenarios ourselves. Like role play. Role play mm-hmm. um, as a group. But the problem with that is there's no consequences to it. So as the guy you know, who's playing the captain, you can go overboard because you know that really there's no consequences. Yeah. So it's really hard to, to get that. So yeah, as much as you don't like to, to have that confrontation with captains on the way through, you need as much of it as you can. So that that, that skills in, in, in your tool bag when you get to the high levels. Yep. Okay. So we have one listener question in this week that will, um, will answer someone flicked us a, um, a message on Twitter with a screenshot from a game. And they asked, how come when players kick for touch, why, why do we allow them to kick the ball over the mark? Um, and I understand why this question was, was asked. Um, when you look in the law book, the law says that as the mark, so as the penalty mark cannot be conveniently marked on the ground, a player who punts or drop kicks may deviate slightly from it. <laughs> this is permissible provided no unfair advantage is gained. So you laughed at the line of may deviate slightly from it? Yeah. 
Why do you laugh? <laughs> oh, because um, how far slightly. Yeah. Um, we, we probably, yeah, you're right. In times, we probably let them kick the ball a little bit further than what they should. Mm. Maybe we need to get to like the FIFA soccer referees and have the can the of um, um, shaving foam and put the shaving foam mark <laughs> yeah. on the ground. But um, yeah, a lot of the times where we give the mark isn't 100% correct either. So the fact that they take it a couple of metres either side of it, yeah. it's, 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 hard. it's not a major concern for the game. It's hard because it's easy for us to be black and white when the mark happens the to line. be on a line because you can say, well, you either kicked it over the line or you didn't. But when it's just between lines and you go, well, I don't know. if we pulled up a player for the one over there because it happened to be on a line compared to this one, which isn't on a line, it makes it hard. But I do understand people's frustrations yeah. with it. You know, to the, the laws allow us to have that deviation, maybe we need to tighten give, give it up. Give you a piece of rope and you'll stretch it out as long as yeah. you can. Um, yep. All right, so where are you off to this weekend, Gav? Um, I, I think it might be my sixth time up to Townsville. People are Told start, you we need some property there. People are going to start asking questions. So, yeah, I'm up up in Townsville on uh, Thursday night. Yep. Uh, Cowboys-Broncos, which traditionally is a great game of footy. I've, I've had some great experiences with these games. I've, I've probably refereed four or five of them. And I can't remember a bad one. Yep. So hopefully it'll be it'll be the same again on Thursday night. Yep. Where you at? And uh, other standard place for the Badger family <laughs> is either Townsville or Auckland. So off to New Zealand for um, Warriors Manly game on Friday night. So clocking up a few more frequent flyer miles between the both of us, <laughs> which will help for the uh, end of season holiday. We won't see each other until Saturday, maybe. From Wednesday to Saturday. And I'll buy more than two blocks of chocolate while I'm in New Zealand as well. Yeah, how many of them will get home though? Oh, that doesn't matter. Just before we go as well, I just want to have a shout out. We've got the uh, New South Wales Rugby League All Schools um, car- Carnival on this week at it um, in Western Sydney at Wayland and, and the Kingsway where we've got you know 55 to 60 referees on both days from all across the state that come in and, and, and coaches as well, referees, coaches that come in and get together and utilise all the resources. And it's a, it's a pretty solid carnival. I know it's one that you sort of got found out really as a, as a referee and put you in, in, in the pathways into... Your refereeing career. Yep, got discovered there. <laughs> no, it is a great carnival. And um, for us it, as the NRL referees, um, we, we go out there and um, yeah. it's a great opportunity for really us. The squad really supports it. Yeah, it's a good opportunity for our squad to go out and engage with um, the younger referees and coaches out there and, you know, put a put a bit back into, um, you know, into refereeing at that level. Unfortunately, I'll be flying out to Townsville tomorrow, so I won't be able to go. So I'm, actually, I'm really disappointed. Yeah. I really enjoy it. It is a good carnival. Um, so could um, like to... Get everyone to join our Facebook and Instagram pages. Our Facebook page is NRL Officiating and Instagram handle is at NRL Officiating. I'm sure people, if you follow those two pages, uh, you'll see a few shots of us out at the um, all schools, as Gavin just said, and a lot of um, the younger referees as well. So give us a follow to keep up to date with what's happening in the world of rugby league officials across the country from under sixes through to the NRL. And if you are interested in becoming a referee, please visit refrugbyleague.com. Thanks for listening to this week's Refs Roundup.